We are going to be looking at a practice that doesn't get preached as often as it should. And I'm also going to forewarn you, I might step on some of your toes, but I pray that I do so in truth and in love. So if you don't mind, close your eyes with me as we pray. And as we pray, I want to just do a brief exercise. Take a deep breath in and hold it. Breathe out. Breathe in, hold, and breathe out. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. You are here in this place. We thank you that as the songs that Eli sang this morning said, that we can come as we are, brokenhearted, weary, tired, exhausted, but that we can come here to this place and to be able to hear from your word, to be able to sing songs of praise. And Lord, as we look at the practice of rest this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would do a deep work deep within us and that we would have ears to hear, but that we would also have hands and feet that are ready to do the things that you have called us to do. This time and space is yours. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. So rest is not a natural part of our production-driven culture. Often our companies will actually pay us more if we work our already set hours. We call that overtime. And our blue-collared Midwest communities will actually champion your excessive schedule. And outside of our work, our schedules are more full than a Chick-fil-A drive through And we celebrate and give credence to our exhaustion when asked how we're doing by the common response, oh, I'm good, I'm just busy and tired. And we wear it like it's a badge of honor. I wonder how many times that was said in that lobby right before we gathered here this morning. And church, this isn't how it used to be. Creation hasn't always been burnt out and exhausted as we are today. So the question has to be asked, what changed? Why are we so tired? Why are we weary? Why are our schedules more full than a Chick-fil-A drive through and there's a lot that we could blame, like demands at work, our kids and their activities, and we could blame the culture or so on and so forth. But nonetheless, it's undeniable that our production-driven culture is actually a radical deviation from the rhythm of life God has set for his creation. And that as we've adopted this anti-God rhythm of life, that that is actually leading humanity, which includes us, to creating patterns of exhaustion, burnout, moral failure, heightened anxiety, depression, and increased suicide rates. And of that list I gave, none of those are descriptors of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. None of those are descriptors of what it means to be a child of God. Something has to change. John Ortberg, who's a pastor and an author, was entering a new ministry in Chicago, and he decided to call his friend and mentor, Dallas Willard, to ask him how he could be spiritual, spiritually healthy in the midst of his busy life. So John Ortberg was heading into this church of about 5,000 people. He had a young family that had all of these different activities going on, and John had 
pressure from the parishioners to do this and do that. And he called his friend and mentor, Dallas Willard, who I have quoted often, and he called him and said, how can I keep my head above the waves? How can I stay spiritually healthy in the midst of all of these demands? And Dallas Willard paused for a long time. And he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ortberg quickly told Willard, he wrote that one down and he was ready for the next thing. It's like, okay, keep it going, keep it going. I got things to do. I got a meeting coming up. Like, what's next? Another long pause. Then Willard once again said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And this isn't just for pastors of mega churches or pastors at all. That this is something that we all must take heed of. We must slow down and rest. It's interesting that the National Basketball Association has taken rest more seriously than followers of Jesus. We can get frustrated because LeBron James will sit out the game in Indiana and we're bummed because we want to see LeBron James. But yet LeBron James has done this thing called load management where he will purposefully take a game off in order to rest so that he could be productive later. Because his main objective isn't to win one game in Indiana. It's ultimately to prepare himself to make a run deep in the playoffs, which this year won't happen. Sorry, LeBron. And there's many NBA players and many athletes, and there's actually studies that prove the difference between a good athlete and a great athlete isn't how hard you work, it's actually how well you rest. And if sports is getting this right, and rest is a creation and a rhythm that God himself established, then why are we so bad at it? How have we missed the mark on rest? for so long. And then the question once again has to be asked, how can we change this narrative? How can we be people of rest and resist the culture striving towards production and to do what Willard told Ortberg, to eliminate hurry and busyness from our lives? And here's the good news, church family. This type of rest and resistance to this culture is already available. The invitation has been extended to each and every one of us that with each breath that we take, there is an invitation to rest. So for the rest of this morning, we're going to journey through scripture to dive deeper into this practice of rest or what we'll also call Sabbath. We're going to look at its origins and what Jesus tells us about rest by landing at the passage that Emily read for us this morning. So If you have a paper Bible with you, I would once again love for you to flip through the pages. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. I'll give you a second to flip those pages. Maybe next time we'll do like a sword drill and the first person that gets there will stand up. Anyways, Genesis chapter 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, 
for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So background, God six days created everything. It was awesome. Or in the words of scripture, good or very good. God worked for six days, which as we talk about rest, I want to make this abundantly clear too, that work is not evil. I'm not saying that you have to go off into a closet and rest for seven days a week. Because work was actually created before the fall, not after. So it's good to work six days. But yet, we have here in Genesis chapter 2 that the creator God set a precedence for us. That six days he worked really hard. He did all of his work, and then on the seventh day, he stopped. And God chose to rest. Not because God was exhausted. Because God is all-powerful. He doesn't need a break. But yet, in the very beginning of creation, God is establishing a pattern of rest for us. If you remember the story of creation, the sixth day was the day where God created man and woman. So if you do the math real quick, that was day six. The first full day for humans on earth, what was God doing? He was resting. From the very first day, God was establishing the importance of rest. And if you look at the Genesis narrative, we get to Genesis chapter 2, and we find this fancy four-letter word called holy. None of the other parts of creation were deemed holy until the day of rest. The other things were good or very good, but the first thing that was declared set apart was the seventh day, was the day of rest. So rest is not a necessity because of the fall. Rest was a regular part of the life and rhythm of creation. And then we're not going to look into it today because we have a lot to get to. But we get to Genesis chapter 3, and we've, we've looked before at Adam and Eve's sin. And if you remember our fasting sermon that we did, we looked at a little bit of the fall. But then God, after the fall, addresses the serpent, man, and woman. And when God addressed the man in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19... God's punishment actually cut at the identity of man and then eventually became a curse that we all would fall under, and that is the dynamic of work changed forever. That by the sweat of Adam's brow, he would work, which cut deep at Adam's identity. Because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. That work would now become tiresome. Because work wasn't intended to be evil or bad. It was part of God's good and original design. But that because of sin's curse, now our work would become something that it was never intended to be, which was a source of our identity. You get in a group of men, and men, I'm 
just going to be brutally honest. When we get together and we're getting to know each other, we might ask a name, but the next thing that follows, where do you work? What do you do? Which if someone comes up to me and gives a bunch of expletives and then they find out I'm a pastor, they're like, I'm so sorry. Like, no, you're not. You're just sorry you got caught. But it's interesting that we can look to Exodus or Genesis chapter 3, see the punishment that was on Adam, and then be able to see how man has begun to shape his identity around the very thing that we were called to do, but yet was distorted because of, this, because of the fall. So let's get forward to Exodus chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 24 to 30. So to give a little backdrop before we read this, the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and Moses came through the leading of God. Awesome story. Read the book of Exodus. But God leads the nation of Israel out of slavery. They cross over the Red Sea, and the nation of Israel begins to grumble. They're like, that was really cool, but I'm hungry. Let's go back, because there is at least food and stuff for us. We were working tirelessly and being treated wrong, but yet, notice, part of their identity was the work and the thing that they did, and they would rather go and work tirelessly than to walk in the freedom that God had made available to them. Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 24. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day of the, the Sabbath, there will be none. Yet, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they did not find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day. And humanity at that point did not look to God's example to take a day to stop, to cease, and to rest. And they are a free nation, and yet they are still working tirelessly. Even when God had told them to take a day off. And it's interesting, too, that there were some people that after Moses told them to rest on the seventh day, there were still some that went out to gather. And God instituted this holy day, once again, not as a punishment. This wasn't for us to feel bad about our work. But there is actually a threefold reason for why God gave us the Sabbath day or the practice of resting. Number one, it was to remind us that God is the one who is holding all things together. It's to trust that God will provide. And it's to delight in God's provision, faithfulness, and love. And for the nation of Israel, God commanded the Sabbath to remind them that God was the one who brought them out of Egypt, to trust that God would provide when they didn't sow, and to delight in God's provision, faithfulness, and love. And that that same rhythm of reminding, of trusting, and delighting 
is the very same rhythm that we, as followers of Jesus, can adopt as a rhythm of rest. So if you still have your Bibles open, let's go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. So you'll just have to flip a few more pages. It's a familiar passage if you know your Ten Commandments. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Of all of the Ten Commandments, there is only one that begins with the word remember. Other ones are do not, do not. Honor your father and mother. But the one commandment that we easily forget is to Sabbath, to rest. And like God declared it as holy, we are called to make time for rest, to be set apart for the Lord. And we also need to remember this pattern of rest that God has called us into. I'm going to say something. It might be fairly provocative, but bear with me. If I, as a pastor, faithfully keep nine out of the Ten Commandments and neglect the Sabbath, I'd be more likely to get a raise. But let's say if I keep nine out of the ten and neglect any of the other nine, I'd probably get fired. If I began to misuse the name of the Lord, I'd probably get fired. But if I work overtime and I put in like 80, 100 hours to the church, I'd probably be more likely to get a raise. So then the question has to be asked, where did we go wrong? We learn the Ten Commandments in children's church. We memorize them as a kid and hopefully still remember them as adults But what does this say about how we value rest? And I know who I'm talking to. We are in a blue-collar Midwest community that we overvalue work. We overvalue production. Even within my role as a pastor, when pastors meet, we talk about all the work we do. When was the last time that we like talked about our one day of set aside rest and how good that was rather than your productive week? Because we work ourselves to the bone and then we get so exhausted and burn out that we're like, okay, well, let's do a vacation. And then the vacation's not even restful because you fill your vacation with things. Like you fill it with, okay, at 11 o'clock, we're going to go to this museum. And then at 12 o'clock, we have a reservation over here. And then at 1 o'clock, we go over here. And it's exhausting. Our vacations aren't restful. But yet God has established within our week a singular day, moments for us to cease what we're doing, to actually trust the God of the universe that your work will be fine without you clocking in. 
and to remind yourself that God is good. That the sustainer of the universe will sustain your work. And that you can rest. Once again, I know who I'm talking with. It's hard to cease, to stop, and to rest. But if we're honest, I think we all yearn to rest. We yearn for that time to set aside work and to have freedom to just be. So once again, the question has to be asked, where did we go wrong? We have this call in Genesis and in Exodus to rest. But if you look within a regular like discipleship program, often the church and programs won't tell you as a key part of your discipleship to rest. We'll feed you with doctrine, we'll feed you with teaching, we'll feed you with all the different things that you can do to fill your schedule for the kingdom of God, but yet most discipleship programs will not tell you, hey, by the way, a key part of your rhythm of walking with Jesus intimately is to actually stop, to rest, to delight in God's creation. Where did it go sideways? So let me just give you a brief backdrop on the Sabbath between Old and New Testament. So the Sabbath, once again, was part of the Ten Commandments. And because God demonstrated that pattern of rest, the Hebrew people faithfully sought to obey the command of Sabbath. And if you've seen the TV series, The Chosen, you would remember how scandalous it was for Peter to go fishing on the Sabbath. Side plug, The Chosen is a phenomenal series. I'd encourage you to watch it, especially with your kids. Then come the Pharisees, the hyper-religious leaders of the day, and they took the intention of Sabbath and created extremely legalistic laws for the Hebrew people to follow that weren't mentioned specifically by God himself. A couple examples. The Pharisees would try to restrict how many steps you could take in one day during the Sabbath, which was about 2,000 cubits or two-thirds of a mile. There were extra laws about how many activities would strictly be forbidden to do during the Sabbath, like preparing bread, preparing meat, making clothes. You weren't allowed to like do writing or building, and the list can go on. Needless to say, the Pharisees would create these legalistic guards around the Sabbath that were never written in Scripture. They did so because they didn't want to violate the law. They didn't want to violate what God had commanded them. But yet these things that they actually propped up as equal to Scripture were not Scripture, did not come from the mouth of God. And so then the Hebrew people began to regularly participate in these things with the Pharisaical laws in hand. Because any of the extra things that the Pharisees mentioned were not things that God had commanded in Exodus chapter 20. There's nothing in there about particular steps you have to take. But what God had commanded was for us to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, and to rest from our work. And that that rest, once again, is not just for you. It is for your family. 
It is for your employees, and it's actually for the immigrant as well. If you remember the beginning of what we've called the pandemic, so 2020, I know, like rough memories, but bear with me for a second. We had this 14 days to flatten the curve, and we were all stuck inside. It wasn't just America, but India also had this shelter in place that we had. Once again, I know raw memories, bear with me. India has six of the top 10 most polluted cities in the world. And after they had stopped for 14 days, they ceased from their work, they stayed inside, catch this, their air got cleaner. The rivers that were once polluted were now clean. The animals and the plants that were around them actually looked vibrant instead of sickly. That wasn't because they got good air purifiers. It was because they actually ceased and rested and stopped. Because the Sabbath is not something that God wants to drag you through. It's actually an invitation of love that he's extended to us. For us in all of creation to just take a day to rest, to cease from our work. So let's get to Matthew chapter 11, like was read this morning. We're going to walk through this passage a little bit, and then we're going to look at how we can practically rest in 2022 in Danville, Illinois. So I'm going to read it again. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And this is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I really love the way that Eugene Peterson translated this passage in the message translation. I'm gonna read that for you. I think it's gonna be on the screen behind me. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion. The invitation to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And this is an invitation that was not just for those who had ears to hear the words proceed out of Jesus' mouth, but that this is actually an invitation for anyone who would choose the way of Jesus. It's an invitation for you and for me regardless of what your past week, month, year, regardless of what your life has looked like up till this point. You could have rejected this invitation every second of every day for every, life, every moment of your life, but yet Jesus here is extending this offer for us. This sounds like a really good offer, right? 
let's just ask with a quick slip of the hand, how many of you have been tired or weary just this week? Anyone? Your arms aren't that high in the air, which means you're really weary and you're really burdened. For those of you in the front rows, most of us raised our hands. Sorry to out you back row, but we're tired. We're weary. We're burdened. And that there's an invitation that Jesus has graciously extended to us. So let's take note of a few key elements within this passage. The first one is that to enter this kind of rest takes intentionality. Rest doesn't just come because you sit and you're a lazy boy and you're like, okay, I'm gonna rest. Come on, God, make me restful. You might take a nap and that's great, but the real authentic kind of rest that Jesus has made available to us takes intentionality. The passage begins, come to me. It takes action to come to Jesus. And then verse 29 says, to take up my yoke and learn from me. That to rest in Jesus is not merely to just stop, lay down on the ground for 24 hours and say, that's it. But to actually rest is to what John 15 says, is to abide in Jesus. Or as the passage says, to take up my yoke and learn from me. Which this word yoke has actually a dualistic meaning that many of us can miss. So number one, a yoke is a wooden device that's placed on the back of two animals to be able to plow effectively. I figured that one is most what we would associate yoke with. But a yoke also refers to a teaching that a rabbi has for his students. So... Jesus would have what would be called his yoke or his burden, the things that he was teaching his disciples. And that when Jesus here is mentioning to take up my yoke and learn from me, that it was a partnership with Jesus, but also walking in the way that Jesus is teaching us. And that we don't just jump on the back of Jesus to rest, that we actually can walk alongside of him. And with our Savior, our Messiah, and our friend, we can actually do life with him. And that as we do life with him, he begins to ease the burden, as verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of Jesus is not one that will crush you. That to rest in Jesus and take up his yoke, it's actually an easy and a light burden. So it takes intentionality to rest. As H.H. Farmer says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. That to actually rest in Jesus is going to be against the grain of the universe. Because I know if you show up to your PTA meeting and you say, well, I can't meet this day because I'm choosing to rest, they'll be like, you can show up to a meeting, you're fine. Because it's really easy to fill our schedules, but yet we are actually called to be a countercultural group of people that we call the church. And as followers of Jesus, we're actually called to be countercultural. So instead of looking to the culture and saying, well, they're being productive and doing 80 plus hours a week of work, so we might as well. But that Jesus actually creates space for us to intentionally rest with him, and that's countercultural. 
And at first, that effort to genuinely rest, it will take time and it will take effort. So the second thing we can learn from this is that rest is something that we must learn. And we must relearn and relearn and relearn that rest doesn't come naturally. Because the invitation to come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, is something that we must do and learn how to do. And that rest is not found in a product, and it's not even found in a particular set-apart day, but it's found now in a person. That you could declare your Saturday a Sabbath, but if you don't include Jesus in it, then you're going to miss out on rest. Like the real rest that Jesus has actually made available to us. Notice the invitation in the passage. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. To genuinely rest is to rest in Jesus. So how would the world around us try to find rest? They might try to find it in a vacation or in our day-to-day, week-by-week schedule. So the world would try to rest in binge-watching that new thing. Often people will look to a drink, look to something to get them intoxicated. The world will look to please the desires of their flesh or to do anything to numb the pain of exhaustion. The world looks to things and mediums to try to find rest, but yet, church, we don't have to rest in those things in order to find rest. We have a Savior who is inviting us into his heart in order for us to genuinely rest. Because aren't you grateful that, as Eugene Peterson put it, that we can recover our lives and learn how to take a real rest by yoking ourselves to Jesus? That we don't have to be exhausted. We don't have to be tired. We don't have to be burnout. But that we can take up Jesus' yoke and learn how to rest. And catch this one. Rest is guaranteed in Jesus. Verse 28 says, I will give you rest. That's an open invitation with a guarantee on the back end. That if you set aside time and space to engage with Jesus and to come to him as you are weary and as you are burdened, that the text says that he will give you rest. Verse 29 ends, and you will find rest for your souls. You try to find rest in the bottom of an empty alcohol bottle, you will not find rest. But if you look to rest in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, you'll find rest. I love this passage in Psalm chapter 131. The whole chapter is good, but just in verse 2, it says this. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is like a weaned child. For those of you that are familiar with children and weaning and that whole process, when a baby becomes weaned from 
its mother. That baby is no longer dependent on the mom for nutrients, for sustenance, but that as this passage actually explains, that as I or as a weaned child would go to its mother, that the child is not looking to the mother for sustenance. It's not looking to the mother for anything other than just to be with their mom, to just rest with mom, to find comfort, security, and rest in mom. And that that is our call with our Heavenly Father. That I imagine that God is just sitting in his recliner, comfortable chair, and he's welcoming you to just sit and rest with him. To come as you are, whatever burdens you're carrying, no matter how weary you are, no matter all the different things that maybe you're going through the past week and you think of all the things that you might have done that were wrong, but yet our God with open arms is welcoming you to just sit with him. To create space to rest. To not have to produce something. But God just delights in your presence. And if you would create space to just be with God, that as a weaned child finds security and rest with its mother, so would our soul find rest in God. So all this sounds great theologically and even idealistically. But how can we actually rest? I know our jobs are demanding I know our kids constantly have things in their schedules. They need our attention and our energy. There's always something to do. So how can we actually rest? A few principles as we close. First thing, that resting is going to take intentional work. You are going to have to say no to a greater yes. There are going to be things that are going to try to take your attention and you are going to have to intentionally say no to that extra opportunity to get a few more hours at work to say yes to resting in Jesus. Because it's, it's nice and easy to fill our schedules because that's what everyone else is doing, but it's going to take intentional work if we want to have the kind of rest that Jesus is extending and offering to us. Because I don't know about you, but I, as I read Matthew 11, I just want to jump up and down for joy and say, I want that rest. And it's going to take intentional work. Second thing is that resting is an invitation of love, not a legalistic method of earning God's favor. To rest in Jesus is an invitation and it's not an invitation to like put you in a corner to make you have a little time out, time out and say, neener, neener, you can't work. That's not God's intention with rest. He knows that the desire, like all the different things that we carry, like our burdens, our weariness, that all of those things can weigh on us. And I'd like to think that some of you came into this room and you are extremely weary, you are extremely burdened, and as you look forward in your weariness and your burden and your brokenness, you are looking forward to try to fill it with other things and to keep going in a pattern that you're currently going through, which you ultimately realize is leading you to more brokenness. It's leading you to more exhaustion. 
but that Jesus is opening an invitation of love to you to rest, to rest in him. Because he loves you. God wants to be with you. He wants to restore your soul. He just wants to be with you. And once again, resting is trusting, remembering, and delighting in and worshiping God. It's relinquishing control of a certain period of time to trust God with your life. This is a big one. We work so often and we fill our schedules and we think that we're absolutely needed for our work and it's because we want to have control of our lives. We want to hold control of the things that we know we can control of and when we choose to rest and we cease from work, we are trusting that work will take care of itself. That thing that you think is so urgent, it'll be fine. Because as the nation of Israel was welcomed into rest, it was to trust God with their lives, to remember God's goodness. Because a huge part of our rest, church family, is not just to sit and to try to take a good nap, which those things are great. Jesus took a nap on a boat, so resting's good. But to genuinely rest the way that Jesus wants us to rest is to actually stop, and as Sarah shared last week, to remember those moments of faithfulness that God has brought us through, that has brought you through. To create time and space to not try to think about the next thing you need to do in your schedule or the next day that you need to fill more, but that you actually create space in your calendar to cease and just to remember God's goodness, his love over you, his faithfulness, and all the things that God has done in your life. Doesn't that sound awesome? To create space to just delight in God? Because if he's the creator and the sustainer of all, I sure think that we could create just some time and space to spend with him, to delight in him, to trust in him, and then hopefully that turns into worship of him. And if you think that sounds impossible, you do it hopefully every day. It's called sleep. How many of you, when you sleep, you're making sure your heart's beating, that everything at work is going good, that your schedules are fine? When you sleep, you are Sabbathing. You are resting. As you sleep, you are trusting that God will take care of you. And if you can do it when you sleep, I trust that you could do it when you're awake. Work hard, yes, love it. Scripture says to work heartily as if for the Lord. When you clock in and clock out between that time, you need to work in such a way that God is glorified through your work. But when you clock out, Are you filling that time with more things? Or are you going to intentionally choose to trust God, to rest in him, to have your soul renewed? And it's your choice. It's an invitation of love that has been extended to all of us. And you can choose to rest. So as I end, how do you think I'm going to end a sermon on rest? If you look under your pew, you're going to find a pillow and a blanket. And we're, I'm kidding. We're not going to take a nap. Though I did hear a pastor one time say, 
that he used to get really frustrated when his parishioners would fall asleep during his sermon. And then he thought, man, what a better place to rest than the presence of God. So if you guys rest in my sermons from here on out, I will try not to get mad. And I'll just trust that you're Sabbath resting. So you don't have to lie and say, I've been praying when we know you're just sleeping. (laughs) But here's my encouragement to us, church. Would we become the people that don't just bury ourselves in our work and we collapse into rest, but that we would actually be people that work from our rest? There's a difference. We can work and look to our work and just overly exhaust ourselves with the burdens and the weight of everything that we crash and we don't know what to do and we're like, oh, okay, I guess I better take a nap. Instead, what if we would become a people that begin with rest, that we begin in the presence of God, begin by surrendering ourselves to the Lord, trusting him, taking time out of our schedules to just worship him and to be with him, and that we would then, from that posture of rest, enter into our workspace refreshed, coming out of intimate time in the presence of God, and that then we would be ready to engage our work heartily as if for the Lord and be more emotionally and spiritually available to those around us. And that once again, because this series is a series about practices, that this is going to take practice. This is something that me personally and our family, we try to create one day. Sometimes it gets messy, but that's fine. There's grace upon grace for that. But we try to create some intentional time and even to walk with our kids through creating space to be able to just delight in God. We try to like open up our time of Sabbath with like a nice sweet so we could remember the sweetness of God. So if you want to create an entire day to Sabbath, I encourage cinnamon rolls. They're so good. But that as you taste of the sweetness of the dessert, that you would be reminded all the more of the sweetness of God and his invitation to choose rest. And that as you rest, if you can and if it's within your means, take a nap. Jesus took a nap, so we can too. If one thing that brings your soul rest is going for a walk, go for a walk. If something that brings you rest is drawing, do that. If it's exercising, do that, but do so from a posture of rest not to try to gain a product or to do something super cool, but just to be able to stop in the moment and to just rest in God, knowing that whatever kind of product that you try to do at work or elsewhere is gonna be fine without you, but that you could create time and space to be with your God. And I, I know, I can already hear it. Jordan, that sounds great and that might work for you, but... Like, you don't know my demands here, 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 and here. That sounds really great, and we could leave this place and just go about our super busy weeks. But I want to put the passage from Eugene Peterson up again and just ask, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to Jesus. 
Get away with him and you will recover your life. Jesus can show you how to take a real rest. If you walk with him and work with him, watch how he does it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that Jesus won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. That if you keep company with him, you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And as Eli comes up to lead us in and worship as we close out our service, know that that invitation is available to you. Because I know I've had many seasons that I've been tired and weary, been burned out, been exhausted, throwing my hands in the air, wondering when there would be an end to all of this weariness. But yet, church family, this invitation is available to you. Would you create space for Jesus to not try to gain a product from him, but to gain his presence and to rest in him and who he is? And Eli's going to lead in a new song. I told him it would be really awesome for this sermon. If you hate it, you can blame me, not Eli. But the song's called Lean Back. And if you know it, sing along with him. If not, pay attention to the words. The chorus would sing, And I lean back in the loving arms of a beautiful father and to breathe deep and know that he is good. He's a love like no other. That as you engage in rest, would you know that your heavenly father is good? That as you rest in his loving presence, that the world around you will be just fine. But that Jesus wants to do a good deep work with you. And may we be people that operate from rest, not sprinting in exhaustion towards it. Let's pray. God, we we thank you that as Paul wrote to the Colossian church that the entire cosmos was created by you and for you. And that is in you that all things are held together. That it's not by it's not by my employment. It's not by my full schedule. It's not by my, my giftedness or abilities, but that it is in you and you alone that all of this is held together. Lord, forgive us for times that we have thought that our work was more important than what it really is. And Lord, for those of us that are tired and weary, Maybe we're coming off of one of the most busy weeks of our lives and we're so frustrated and exhausted. And Lord, would you give us the desire to rest in you, to create space, to say no to other things, to say yes to you. Because I know this week, Lord, as I even prepared for this sermon, it was one of the harder weeks of my life, but yet, Lord, the invitation to rest is still extended. So God, give us the courage and boldness to rest in you, to create space, to remember all that you've done, to delight in your goodness and your provision, and to worship you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.